Welcome to Paranormal Almanac with your host, Kurt Sandvik. I'm your host, Kurt Savick, and welcome to another edition of Paranormal Almanac. And on this edition, let's talk about cryptids. But first, as always, let's do shout-outs. Please, for the love of God, don't skip ahead. Listen to these people, because without these people, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. You'd be listening to, like, blank air. There'd be nothing there. <clears throat> there would be no Paranormal Almanac, is what I'm saying, without these people. So we have shout-outs going out to the very special Brenda Hamada. I know I didn't say that last name right. Richard, Logan, Lori, Alec Roger, Funk, that is. Karen Duran, Nikki loves James. James, you better love Nikki. Lori, Alicia, Rebecca, and Stephen Cher. Hey, howdy, hi. Jennifer, Heather G., your festive neighborhood skinwalker. Zuzus, what's it? Nico Cher and the mouse. Hey, howdy, hi to you as well. Mark and Tina, Tortuga, Mike from Jersey, Jay Bizzle, Andy, Tracy, Howdy, Virginia Mailman, Tony the Magician, Jason, Vicky, Crow, Clay, Buzz, Lobita Works, Glacier Main, Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy, Amber, Tracy, Kelly, Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic, Robot Webcomic, Sandy, Paige, Kausch, Scott A., Andrea, Melody, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Becca, Jake, Charlotte, and the Beasties, Elizabeth, Sherry, Art Muffin, Tim. Hey, howdy, hi, buddy. We got to talk soon. I got, I got some plans. Kenny, uh, Kenny, Kenneth, Ricky, Ricardo, Alexandra, George, Zozo the Demon. Whoa, I pushed the wrong one. Well, whatever. Zozo, clapping. <clears throat> Hayden, Cindy, Ashley, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren, Russell, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Paula, Jerry, Jeff T. Hey, howdy, hi, buddy. Joe, Lawrence, Melissa, Lauren. The Lawrence Strong, that is. Hey, howdy, hi. Autumn, J. Mark Manning, Carolyn, Ryan Loves Malena, Jade Nanashi, Todd Jamie and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan Laura Pitts, and Gamer Fan. With two special shout-outs, as always, to Joe Teague and to my boy Stitch. But I also want to do a shout-out for Holden Yeager, the uh, brilliant composer of that theme song. And also, happy birthday, Brian. Always, always fun to do a birthday shout-out. All righty. <clears throat> Ooh, it's cold this morning. And, oh, man. I was going to record last night, but I had to run out and do a bunch of different things. I had like four or five things I had to go to. Yeah, I'm a busy person. No, not really. They were just all on the same night. So I was like, oh, I'll just do it in the morning. That's no big deal. It is, I, and, and I know, I know, I'm, I'm saying this, this is California cold. This is not the rest of the country that's going through like blizzards and windstorms and all this crazy crap cold. But it is cold in the Southland right now. Cold and beautiful downtown Burbank right now. But let's get right into paranormal news because I really got a lot to get to today. 
Have you ever seen Bigfoot riding on the back of Nessie while being sucked up into the sky by a UFO, all to the soundtrack of a choir of ghost cats being led by a black-eyed child? Is this story true? Well, there's only one place you're gonna find out. Get all my news from Paranormal News. Listen carefully for the clues. The stories are strange and bizarre. It makes you wonder just who we are. This is Paranormal News. Paranormal News. There's something in the shadows. Take it away, Kurt. Thank you, Buzz. I sure as hell will. Awesome, amazing. Another special shout out to Buzz. Freaking awesome. That's right. The first story comes to us from uh, Woman's World. The granddaughter of country legend Hank Williams opens up about her near-death experience. She says heaven is a place of deep love. Well, I hope so, because if what if it was like, hey, I went to heaven. It was horrific. They were it's it's like Hellraiser, but it's heaven. And you'd be like, well, shit, how do I get out of that? No, like she's saying, yeah, it's it was beautiful. Uh, she said that uh, after a devastating car crash driving down Mississippi's Highway 61 in March of 20, uh, 2006, Hillary Williams smiled as her sister Holly shared a favorite memory of their maternal grandmother. Uh, they were headed to Louisiana for their grandmother's funeral and were passing the time by recalling happy memories of her. But as they rounded a curve, Hillary glanced, glanced down at her iPod and in a split second, her truck hit the ruts on the side of the country road. Hillary instinctively jerked the wheel so hard the truck did a 360-degree spin, then flipped four times, landing on its side. And there's actually a photo of the crushed car, and it's like an SUV. It is brutally, brutally damaged. Um, she says the next thing the 27-year-old knew, she was dangling by her seatbelt and smashed behind the steering wheel with Holly crumpled on the seat beside her. God, send your angels to help us, she grasped, or gasped. Uh, she was soaked in blood. A group of good Samaritans uh, stopped and rushed over to help, but they couldn't free the girls from the mangled steel. 45 minutes later, paramedics arrived and cut the scissors out of the truck. Struggling to breathe, uh, she was loaded onto a stretcher when suddenly she recalls a tall, glowing being wearing a white gown appear beside her. Taking Hillary's hand, Hillary says the angel whispered softly, it's time to go. In that instance, uh, she said an indescribable sense of peace washed over her. She was lifted out of her body. As she gazed down on the scene below, thousands of Pictures of her life began flashing before her eyes like a movie, including a photo of her mother had taken of her happily wearing her favorite cowboy boots when she was about four years old. Suddenly, she was bathed in brilliant light and had felt a love deeper than she'd ever experienced before. This is God's love, she realized joyfully, as she led towards a mansion made of golden diamonds. As she approached, I, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to stop right there. Like, I don't picture heaven. I picture clouds. And I'm sure that we don't all live in clouds when we go up to heaven, if you believe in heaven. But I definitely don't picture mansions made of gold and diamonds. Who knew heaven was so gaudy? But anyhow, so she approached. She saw her loved ones who had passed, including her father's parents, country singer Hank Williams Sr., and his wife Audrey, who she'd never met. Johnny Cash and his wife, June Carter, were there, too, playing instruments and singing as Merle Kilgore, Hank Jr.'s longtime manager and dear family friend, laughed and slapped his legs to the beat of the music. Oh, and the music, she said. She'd never heard such beautiful music. It was like thousands of voices uniting in different harmonies. I never want to leave. But then her grandparents hugged her tightly as if to say, it's not your time yet. And in a blink, hi, Rum. I'm just telling people about near-death experiences. Country people. Yeah, country music stars. Yeah? All right. Um, 
Thanks for hopping up on my lap and burping in my face. Uh, in a blink, Hillary was back in her body being cared for by two life flight nurses. And to the nurse's surprise, she opened up her eyes and she smiled. <laughs> Thank you, Rum. I love you, but I got I got a podcast. I got a podcast to do, sweetheart. All righty. She said that uh, God has a purpose for all of us. Um, I used to be afraid of dying, but now I'm not afraid at all. And that's why, that's the the one thing from there. Oh, and she goes on to say, I want everyone to know that God is with us. Heaven is real. It's a place of love so deep. No words can describe it. There's no pain, only peace and joy. So no matter what happens in life, we shouldn't fear. But here's the one that I wanted to, the reason I bring these up all the time is because there is a common thing that happens with near-death near death experience. And I actually reached out to her on her website, but it doesn't seem to be working. I'm going to try and email her. I'd like to get her on the show and talk to her about it, but Everybody that has near-death experiences, or 90% of the people that have near-death experiences, they all say, I used to be afraid of dying, but now I'm not afraid at all. And there's a kind of, like, peace and comfort in those people. Like, if you see videos of them, they're just kind of like, yeah, you know, life sucks. Yeah, what are you going to do? Well, I know I've got heaven waiting for me or whatever. i got an afterlife waiting for me. However you want to think of it. It doesn't, you don't have to be religious to, it doesn't have to be called heaven. You don't have to be religious for it. But there does seem to be, like, an afterlife that if you visit and come back from, you have like a peaceful sense of, yeah, it's cool, whatever, life sucks. It's, it's going to be fun. And the other thing that a lot of people do, which is why I want to talk to her. There you go, Rob. Go get it. Um, one of the things I want to talk to her about is if she has that regret of being back in her body. Because there's a lot of near-death experiencers that also like, don't want to be here anymore. They're like, hey, I know it's awesome over there. This sucks down here. I got a, you know, shitty job and the world's burning and stuff. So I'd much rather go up there. There's that really weird sense of, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm kind of done here. Um, <clears throat> It's interesting. It's really interesting to, to read these things again and again and again. And I've read them for years on the show and, you know, in, in personal and it's the same experiences all the time. Um, there's a guy that says, when you talk to most patients who've had a brush with death but did not have an NDE, the majority of them are confused or amnesic to when they've, when they've recovered. But our research found that 76% of people who have had an NDE report their level of consciousness and alertness during the time they were considered dead actually increases and they can recall things down to the last detail. We see this as evidence that we all have souls and that there is an afterlife. And once again, that's from Jeffrey Long, MD. Um, he's wrote a couple of books about uh, NDEs. I just love them. I, as I know, if you've, if you've listened to the show, you know that I love a good NDE story because um, it's just weird, you know? It's, it's weird how uniform around the world these stories really are. All righty, in the... Even fun conspiracy theories aren't even fun anymore section of paranormal news. I swear, all I want is a new, good, fun, non-political conspiracy theory. And I've been waiting for a while. I've, like, I've checked on all these different websites about like, hey, there's this conspiracy going around. And some of them are just stupid fun, but 90% of them are just horrifically bad. And this one is supposed to be fun. It's in the Yahoo Entertainment section. And it's not even fun. The title is, No, Taylor Swift is not a government asset. What's behind the latest bizarre conspiracy theory about the pop star? And instead of reading it to you, I want to uh, I want to play it. Where is it? Where is the thing? Come on. Oh, come on. 
it was just there a minute ago. There's this guy named Waters, uh, Jesse Waters. He's on, I believe he's on Fox News. And um, maybe this is it. She's been blanketed across the sports media entertainment atmosphere. The New York Times just speculated she's a lesbian. And last year's tour broke Ticketmaster. A tour that's revenue tops the GDP of 50 countries. I mean, I like her music. She's all right. But, I mean, have you ever wondered why or how she blew up like this? No. Well, around four years ago, the Pentagon Psychological Operations Unit floated turning Taylor Swift into an asset uh, during a wait. NATO meeting. Just wait to hear them. What kind of asset? A PSYOP for combating online misinformation. Listen. You came in here wanting to understand how you just go out there and counter an information operation. Well, the idea is that social influence can help... Uh, can help uh, encourage or uh, promote behavior change, so potentially as like a peaceful information operation. I include All right, so I'm going to pause it right here because they actually show this thing. It was in NATO, and it was literally her saying, you know, here's, here's an idea. If you guys want to get information out to the general public, they're not going to really listen to the government because, you know, it's the government. They're not going to really listen to idiots like this Jesse Waters guy because he's an idiot, but... They really latch on in social media to big celebrities, to, I don't know, influencers maybe? That's the point of the term, influencers. So what she was saying is, is there a way that we could align with a person, say, Taylor Swift really loves the environment. Can we align with Taylor Swift to say, hey, can you talk about this? This will help, you know, the environment for the good. Or can you help with homelessness or can you help with, I don't know, football like she's doing now? But, you know, the point is, if she talks about it, her fans will listen. And there's a lot of people out there that are saying that Taylor should be talking about social issues and political issues that are going on in this world and make a change for the better. And she does to a certain degree. But they're saying that if the government influenced her to do it, like, hey, you should really talk about this, it would be amazing what a unknown psyops agent she would become for the government. All right, I'm going to continue playing it. Taylor Swift in here because she's, um, you know, she's a fairly influential online person. I don't know if you've heard of her. That yeah, was a joke. Real. The Pentagon PSYOP unit pitched NATO on turning Taylor Swift into an asset for combating mm, misinformation. Not really. This is nothing new. In the 1950s, the government strong-armed Louis Armstrong into doing propaganda tours across Africa. The CIA did the same thing with jazz singer Nina Simone, except they did it without her really knowing. In the 70s, Nixon enlisted Elvis in his war on drugs. No, no, he, he didn't. He gave the king a badge and named him a covert federal law enforcement agent. All right, I'm going to pause right there. That is 100% false. This guy's a fucking idiot. That isn't what happened. So Elvis was a collector of badges, loved badges. Nixon needed to appear cool. That's why he went on laughing. He also had like a problem with the younger fan, the younger generation, rightfully so. So he met with Elvis and gave him the badge that Elvis requested. Elvis is like, I want one of those badges. So he gave it to him. And that was a terrible Elvis impression, but it was real quick. Um, and he gave it to him. And so they could do that famous photo op of them, like one arm around him and shaking their hand, like the famous one with Elvis and his crazy cool Elvis outfit and Nixon still looking like a square and Nixon came off looking even more like a square after that. It was not to influence, you know, keep kids off drugs. 
Elvis was the biggest drug addict in the world at that time. It's ridiculous to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we can get him. I'll give you a badge if you can get keep kids off drugs. Uh-huh, sure. Coming up. I know. Hello. Talking about Elvis next. Michael Jackson was tapped by Reagan using his song Beat It and his public service campaigns against teen drinking and driving. Michael Jackson persuading minors not to drink. So is Swift a front for a covert political agenda? Primetime obviously has no evidence. If we did, we'd share it. But we're curious because the pop star who endorsed Biden is urging millions of her followers to vote. She's sharing links. And her boyfriend, Travis Kelty, sponsored by Pfizer. And their relationships boosted the NFL ratings this season, bringing in a whole new demographic. So how's the PSYOP going? Well, as usual, Biden's not calling the shots because he doesn't even know who Taylor Swift is. For fuck's sake, dude. This this shows you like how stupid and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead just a minute because I'm not gonna go political on this podcast, even though I really could. Uh, I'm not going political on this podcast. That's not what this is about. This is about this dumb theory, this new conspiracy theory that she's a psyops agent because she chose a candidate and asked people to vote. And that's all she did. And Stuart Kaplan joins us now. Stuart, is this feasible? Jesse, the deployment of a PSYOP in the United States in this day and age is still illegal. Um, The national security law prohibits the deployment of PSYOPs or using an operative for psychological warfare. However, if I was running Biden's management perception team, I would identify someone who would align themselves with my agenda, such as a Taylor Swift who has... Cl- All right, fuck this. The rest of this is dumb. Uh, it goes on for another almost two minutes. Um, again, it's, it's delving into the stupidity of, um, oh, she likes Biden. There must be an agenda. No, or she could just generally like Biden and wanting to vote for him. She has, she aligns with a certain political... Um, opinion, agenda, whatever you want to say, but she is not being used as a PSYOPs agent by the Biden administration. She made a billion dollars on her last tour. She doesn't need to be a PSYOPs agent, either unknown or known PSYOPs agent. Um, There's a theory going on that she's being used to interfere in the 2024 election without any basis of reality in there. Um, it, it just keeps going on. She secretly wrote the new thriller Argyle, which is a spy novel. Why? There's, there's no reason. There's no speculation about beyond that. She wasn't the only book. That wasn't the only book that she secretly wrote that, uh, she had written a memoir that's going to be published and, and, and has the right numerology and everything with the date being mentioned in her last song, last kiss, but there was no book. Uh, she tried to help the Eagles by dating Travis Kelsey. Or she just happened to like this Travis Kelsey guy who who gives a shit. Um, she's secretly a lesbian. Like, these are all conspiracy theories in this one Yahoo Entertainment article. With, again, with no theories. Or with no with no backing of these theories. Um, they go on to say, does her dress color, like this green one, mean something? Swift numerology and the colors she chooses... Could be all Easter eggs, like in her lyrics and her liner notes. Come on, guys. Um, it, uh, it's ruined conspiracy theories. It, recently, 
the past like five years, all conspiracy theories are the worst now. So let's keep on keeping on. Let's move on to a very good non-conspiracy theory one that absolutely is incredible. It comes from uh, Jeremy Corbell, who has access to the most incredible UFO footage. He has a new show on Tubi. Um, I'll try to find the name of it. I think it might be in this article. But um, there's a new footage of the jellyfish UFO. Now, normally I don't watch the U- uh, the uh, videos until I actually do the episodes. But for something like this, such a big story, of course I'm going to watch this video. And it is really bizarre to see. I have no idea what it could even possibly be. But there was a uh, unidentified flying object. It was seen in a video flying over a U.S. operations base in Iraq. It's been named the Jellyfish UAP. Um. He shared the raw footage of the 20, uh, October 2018 sighting on his YouTube channel on Tuesday. It appears to show a jellyfish-like object. Kurt here, not really. To me, it shows, like, you ever played Space Invaders? Imagine one of those things that are coming down, the, the, the invaders, not your part, the invaders' parts. It looks like one of those, but, like, real and flying from right to left on this this um, this footage, this thermal footage. But it's flying over a military base at a consistent speed and moving in one direction. He said the vehicle was filmed over the Persian Gulf at night on an undisclosed day and time. Um, the UAP of unknown origin displayed transmedium capabilities, he says. I mean, I guess I could kind of see that because it does seem to like phase out, not phase out, it, it like cloak and then uncloak. Um he also reported on another UFO. Um, a, it moved through a sensitive military insp- installation and over a body of water where it eventually submerged. After around 17 minutes, the UAP reemerged from the water and flew suddenly at a speed far more rapid than what t- today's technology could capture on camera. Now, he said that the important thing to notice on this one is if you were just using um, IR, like night vision, you could not see this I'll call it jellyfish because that's what he calls it. You couldn't see this jellyfish. You could only see it on thermal camera. And it was really interesting. So uh, let me turn it down a little bit. Good Lord. So, yeah, it's the October 2018 U.S. Joint Operations Base in Iraq. It's flying from right to left over the base where it'll get whitish. It doesn't really disappear per se, but it gets whitish. Then it comes back to black or visible. And it does have these protruderances like below it. But like I said, it, it reminds me of like Space Invaders. It really does look like Space Invaders. And it's a long video. It's like two minutes long. It's still going. Let me skip ahead a little bit. And it's going directly over the base. And it looks like it's going over the base pretty damn low, too. It's not like it's 10,000 feet in the air. It looks like, I don't know, 500 feet in the air. I mean, it looks really low to the ground. And it's now past the base going over the desert. I mean, it's just incredible to watch if it's real. And the only reason I say if is because, you know, you can never know in today's day and age, but if it's real, it is incredible because it doesn't look like a balloon. It doesn't look like, Oh, it's one of those Batman silver mylar balloons again. No, it looks like mechanical. It looks like a vehicle of some kind that is completely unrecognizable. And, and, uh, Moving like nothing that we have. I mean, it's closest thing it could possibly move like would be a drone without that loud drone noise, you know, like the without the propellers on the side of it. He also shared a video, uh, still from a video on Thursday, showing a filmed object called the Chandelier UAP. 
He said the image of the vehicle was taken over the Persian Gulf and um, undisclosed date and time using, again, thermographic technology, which seems to be the only way to spot them. He says, today we released the image of a military-filmed UAP, a still from a video that was filmed over the Persian Gulf. This vehicle of unknown origin had no conventional flight controls and has been officially designated by the United States as a UAP. And it kind of does look like, I mean, it doesn't look like a chandelier to me. I would have called it like um, Christmas tree star because it looks like an old like vintage Christmas tree star, but you know, all in black. So what are these things? No one knows. They said that this term keeps coming up. Um, these things keep showing up over bases and without any known technology of what, what they could be, known origin for where, where they could come from. Uh, anyone can, uh, it goes on to say that anyone can access declassified information about UFOs on the Pentagon's all-domain anomaly resolution office website, as you guys know. And the rest of it is all about um, meetings in the news. And since I'm going to be talking about them in a second, let's just move on to the next one. Um, where is the next one? Here we go. Up next, classified UFO briefing. House members emerge with mixed feelings again. I added the again, but it is true. This is a common thing. Oh, good Lord, Rum. There you go. There you go. Stay calm. This is a common thing we're going to see more and more as these meetings keep happening behind closed doors is they're going to come out and say, well, I wanted more info or eh, I don't know. We shouldn't be wasting our money. And again, the secretive meeting comes after a hearing in July, which we already know about. Um, several lawmakers emerged from this briefings, briefing saying they barely gleaned any new information. Let's just say all of us were very interested in the substance of his claims, and unfortunately, I didn't get the answers I was hoping for. That's, you're going to hear a lot, and unfortunately, I really do think, I'm skipping ahead in the article, I really do think, though, we're going to find out less and less, not more and more, as these meetings go on, because they keep classifying stuff. Stuff that's supposed to be unclassified because of these meetings are being classified, again, because of these meetings. All righty, up next, let's go to the Irish Star for one of the best headlines out there. Bigfoot turds found by woman who thinks she may have found Sasquatch evidence. The Bigfoot turds were wider than Coke cans, according to the woman. A woman thinks she may have found evidence of a Sasquatch after uploading these photos of Bigfoot turds, which were wider than Coke cans. Hurt here, I have not looked at the photos yet, nor do I really want to, but... Um, you know, for the sake of the podcast, I will. Yeah, all right. That's a big pile of poop. Um, Christy Moran, or Christy Morton, shared her photos of the turds on, on the Pacific Northwest Bigfoot Photos, Videos, and Sightings Face Group, which is popular Sasquatch enthusiast community. Recently, a man who experienced weird smells and sounds uploaded pictures supposedly of Bigfoot to the same group. A couple of days ago, I was out exploring around a lava bed area just outside of Willard, Virginia, slightly north of the Columbia River Gorge, west of Mount Adams. Very cool area with lots of caves, some old growth, and pretty isolated. Anyway, Christy says, I came across a pretty massive poo in the pics. It looks like almost stone, but it was soft. No fur or bones or berries obvious in it. There are about five piles close together, but that main one was bigger, wider than a Coke can. There were lots of elk droppings, but they looked much different. What do you think? Bear or question mark? And then, um, yeah, the article just keeps going for far, far, far too long. But, um, yeah, so there you go. I, I don't know, man. Uh, finally, in the what? No way section of paranormal news, uh, gasp, 
they're not aliens. That's the verdict from Peru officials who seized the Mexican aliens. That's right. You remember those Mexican aliens, the Peru aliens, whatever they were calling them, those ones that look like cake, those little white fucking stupid things, which I've been saying from the very, very beginning are dumb because the guy tried to push me, you know, pawn them off in like, what, 2018 and no one cared then? Well, guess what? They're not real. Let me say that again, because there are still a lot of people out there who are going, I don't know, Kurt, I think they're real. Everybody, you've got scientists saying they're real. They aren't real. The conclusion is simple. They are dolls assembled with bones of animals from this planet with modern synthetic glues. Therefore, they were not assembled during pre-Hispanic times. They are not extraterrestrial. They are not aliens. It's what I've been saying since day one. Look, I don't think that I'm the be-all, know-it-all of the paranormal community, but I look into this stuff for hours on hours on hours every week. I've got coworkers who, before they start the Zoom meeting about whatever, you know, work-related stuff we have, they go, hey, man, what about this Miami incident? What's going on there? Or, hey, man, saw this news about the UFOs. What's going on there? Because they know I'm researching this stuff to try and debunk if possible. I'm not doing it so I can debunk it. I don't think everything is debunkable. That Jeremy Corbell story alone, that's not debunkable. There is something there. It's really weird. Something like I've never seen before. It's not debunkable. But when this guy came out in whatever it was, 2018, and said, look, I found aliens. And they went, oh, no, you didn't. That's a skull from an alpaca. Um... And those are animal bones. That's human bones. And that's, uh, you know, cloth. Those aren't aliens. He went, oh, okay. Then he went away. And then he came back in 2023 and went, hey, look, I found aliens. And everybody's like, holy gee, you found aliens. Oh, my God, this guy's amazing. What? All right. Thanks, Alexa. I was talking about aliens. Anyhow, um, with that, let's take a quick break because there is something that I do want to talk about in just a minute that I get way too many people talking to me about, but that'll happen right after the break. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. We are back. Look, before I get to the cryptid topic for this week, I guess I need to talk about Miami. The Miami incident or the Miami alien UFO incident, whatever you want to call it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me be very quick with this one because it's not real. So there's no point in going to it. I know there's a bunch of people that want me to be like, you got to do a whole episode about this thing. It's real, I tells you. No, it's not. I thought it was real at first, too. I was like, whoa, this is cool. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Yes, aliens are coming down to Miami. This is incredible. And then very quickly went, oh, it's not. Anyhow, let me get back to it. On January 1st at the Bayside Marketplace, which is an outdoor mall in Miami, Florida, a group of roughly 50, they call them teenagers, but they were not just teenagers, teenagers and 20-year-olds, you know, young people. Well, they started a riot at the Bayside Marketplace. Again, this is an outdoor mall, roughly five miles south from, uh, five, roughly five miles from South Beach a big area and police started getting bombarded with calls about gangs, gang wars, shootings. And the reason people were saying they're, they're shooting guns, they're shooting at people is because these kids were also launching off 
fireworks. And they were also like on the verge of just an all out mall, like, um, like, uh, mob theft. You know, they were like going to be a mob and they were going to start stealing everything from the mall. Everyone heard it. It was getting really bad. So bad that the police had getting, like, like I said, they were getting call after call after call about this massive group of teenagers and young people that were fighting. And again, people thought they were shooting. They thought it was, they thought the police thought they had a mass shooting happening in a mall, a very popular mall in Miami. So yeah, the police overreacted. They sent a massive fleet of police cars and everybody says it's 50 to hundred police cars. I'll be honest. I didn't count them. I think it was under 50. That's still a lot. It's a shit ton of police cars. You watch the videos. It's terrifying to look at. But the, uh, anyhow, so the police sent a massive fleet of police cars to determine, is there a mass shooting? And when they said, okay, there's no mass shooting, but there's a brawl basically going on. We have to now separate, disperse these gang, these kids, these crowds, whatever you want to call it. Some businesses were temporarily closed to allow the police to clear the area, basically. That's what happened. Multiple cop cars showed up in force. And again, yeah, it was an overreaction by the Miami PD, but based on the information they were getting, they thought it wasn't an overreaction, and that's all that happened. Then, the conspiracy theories went ballistic almost immediately within 24 hours, not same day, but within about 24, 48 hours, there were like, there were claims that um, aliens had landed and the police had swarmed, that aliens were phasing into existence in this mall and the airports were shut down. The power was turned off. The cell phones were taken away from witnesses. Witnesses were detained by the police to tell them you didn't see these 10 foot tall aliens. Some reports say cell sites in the area were shut down to stop people from being able to send out photos or call people. Like I said, eyewitnesses were detained or threatened. Military black helicopters were seen all over the mall. To give you an idea of how much time I devoted to this one after it was brought up in the Facebook fan page, and rightfully so, because when it was brought up, again, I was really excited. Like, holy shit, did, did a UFO land or did aliens come out and... The police were like, we got to handle this. So I spent a long time looking into this. Hold on. You can get down. Good girl. Yeah. There are tons of TikTok and YouTube videos or YouTubers all about this. But separating fact from fiction took hours. Well, no. It was debunked by me almost immediately. But I still took hours after debunking everything to go through everything. Because no matter what I wrote online... And I get it. I get why people would be like, nah, I don't know. No matter what I wrote, people were still like, no, I don't know, Kurt. There was a lot of UFOs or a lot of cop cars. Mm, I don't know, Kurt. What about this guy from TikTok who's saying X, Y, and Z? I get it. I wanted it to be something bigger as well. But I kept digging. Even though I knew it wasn't aliens, I wanted a full picture. I wanted, I wanted to tell people, here is what happened. Because... Unfortunately, if I was to release a TikTok or a YouTube video about this right now, it wouldn't get a tenth, a hundredth of the views that some of these people are like, 
hi, my name is Steve and I was there. And then we were walking through the mall and there was an alien. He phased into existence. And I was like, oh my God, an alien. And then all these police came and they took my cell phone. And I couldn't take a picture of them because they took my cell phone without any proof that they were there at all. So here's how you should attack a big story like this or how anybody should attack a big story like this. Don't go in saying it happened, but also don't go in and saying it didn't happen. Like This is a supposed massive cover-up. Like I said, where airports are shut down, powers turned off, massive police presence, witnesses having their cell phones taken away, black helicopters in the sky. You can't go in on either side. You got to go in in the middle and say, all right, well, what can I prove? What did happen? First, airports being shut down. That's a big one. There will be a shit ton of records about it. Fact is, airports were not shut down. Flights were not canceled. It didn't happen. Yeah, some flights were canceled, but guess what? You can go to Burbank Airport right now. Some flights are going to be canceled. The airports were not shut down. It didn't happen. That's a one. That's the first big one. That's very easy to find out, very easy to disprove. And that's what I started doing. I started to disprove what the claims were or prove if they turned out to be real. Second, eyewitnesses. And I don't mean people on YouTube or TikTok that days later say I was there with no proof, like that guy that I was just, the example I just gave. I mean news coverage, live news coverage. And I know, I know, I don't trust all the news either. But live news on the scene that shows what is, and more importantly, to me anyway, what isn't happening isn't fake news, it's reality. Come on, come on up, come here. There we go, good girl. It's it's just reality. So watch the live news. See what's happening on there. See if it, see if it uh, corroborates aliens being there or see if it disproves aliens being there. And there were a lot of live news happening right then and there. If this is a huge alien cover-up, there'll be no news allowed in the area anyway. The news were all over this one, though. You can watch their live news coverages, and trust me, I did. I even posted a couple of them. When you do watch the live news coverages, you will see eyewitnesses. None of them, not one person, either walking behind the person that, like, behind the news person reporting live on the news, live on the scene. Not one of those people went like, Alien, not one. You'll also see eyewitnesses leaving the area with their cell phones. People on their cell phones, people taking video, people taking photos. They had their cell phones. The live news from the ground and from the air clearly showed the entire area. And there were a lot of live news there. Of course there were. It was a huge news story because there was 50 cop cars or however, how many ever there were. So, yeah, all the news stations ran down there to find out what the hell is going on down there. And what they found was a bunch of punk-ass kids still setting off fireworks on the live news, getting mad that they're being dispersed by the cops, not violently, not aggressively, just the cops are going like, you know, leave the area, just get the hell out of here, trying to separate all these groups of kids. But they had their cell phones. They were walking around. They were taking video. There were people there live on air 
that could have said one person, if one person had said, I heard there was an alien or I saw an alien or I saw a UFO or the police were talking about UFOs or the police tried to take my cell phone and I ran away, any of that, I'd be like, okay, there's something there. It didn't happen. Also, the police will not be the ones confiscating phones and pressuring eyewitnesses. This has never happened in modern day in America. You know, just think back to those riots and demonstrations that happened during the Trump era where the police set up a line and slowly pushed people back, but the news was right there covering it. And more importantly, those people had their cell phones. They were live streaming, some say police brutality, and they didn't have their cell phones confiscated. Even the people that were arrested didn't have their phones taken away for good. It just didn't happen. If there were aliens and they wanted it covered up, the government would have swarmed that area en masse. There would have been military vehicles and aircraft in the area, and it would have been closed off. They wouldn't rely on Miami PD to send out their entire fleet of cop cars. And it didn't happen. There were no military vehicles. There were no black or unmarked vans. There were no black military helicopters, which leads me to the next one that is very easy to prove or disprove. These supposed black helicopters were seen according to TikTok. They even showed a picture of one of the black helicopters. Yeah, it was black because it was nighttime. I actually found that model of helicopter and I put it in the Facebook fan page, the exact make and model and owner of the helicopter. It was the Miami police helicopter. That's all it was. Number four, things you can check. Police reports. You can get the actual police reports. Yes, Miami PD did overreact, and they did uh, scramble their um, their uh, the radios because there's a lot of apps right now where you can go to it and you can listen to what's happening as it's happening. But if there is a mass shooting and there's suspects on the loose, they're going to scramble that because they don't want the suspects to be able to hear what the Miami PD are doing, what the police are doing. So, yeah, they did scramble it, but they scramble it just because that's now a common procedure. But if you look at the actual police reports that were filed that day, reports of gang activity in the mall, reports of active gunfire reported in the mall, reports of mass shootings reported in the mall, reports of mass lootings reported in the mall, reports of mass gang fights reported in the mall. The police were going into this thinking two gangs, possibly more, started an all-out gang war in a very active mall. They went in expecting mass shootings and riots. The live news, again, shows them dispersing the crowds, trying to separate the groups and stop the violence. Yeah, the amount of police they sent, again, was excessive, but they didn't know how many people were involved in it. If it was a mass shooting or a gang war, they would have needed the units. I'm trying to stay neutral on police and how they enforce things, but... The Miami police didn't go there in riot gear. They didn't take anything away from anybody. They didn't hold anybody. They did not start, you know, like they didn't stop all eyewitnesses and tell them, you didn't see anything. You never saw some alien. Now go away. Because instantly that would be the story. Like I was there. Here's proof. And that's what leads me to the YouTubers and the TikTokers saying they were there. It is very easy for them to prove that they were there. They all have cell phones on them. 
Cell phones track where you were. If you've got Google on your phone, guess what? You can have Google, Google actually send you something every month to show you where you were. And it's damn accurate. Really damn accurate. You don't have to wait for police to subpoena your carrier and your carrier to have, okay, his cell phone was here because it pinged the near t- nearby tower at this time. They could literally open up their phone and go, here you go, Google, I was there. I was at the mall at that time. Here it is. And if they had done that, I would have been like, okay, well, you were saying that the police were confiscating cell phones and also stopping you from leaving. How did you get out of there? Why do you have your cell phone? Why are you allowed to talk on TikTok and YouTube if you were actually there as an eyewitness and you were stopped by the Miami police saying nothing ever happened? These things, it just, it doesn't make sense if you start to break them down, which is what I want you guys to do with stuff like this. But the last one, the big one, for me anyway, that I looked at was what happened at the mall the next day? The answer, business as usual. It wasn't shut down because there were aliens on the loose. It wasn't closed off or the security cameras taken down or quarantined or anything that would have happened if aliens would have phased into existence in the middle of a mall. In fact, there was nothing out of the ordinary less than 24 hours later. No black vans, no military in the area was reported on the Nextdoor app. That's another big one. You can go to the Nextdoor app. You're going to find all kinds of fun, stupid, conspiracy, and totally racist neighbors that you have in your area, but you'll also find them reporting on every fucking little thing. My next door app, I actually opened it up one day. I hate it, but I like just out of curiosity, every few months I'll open it up. And there was actually a photo from kind of far away, uh, obviously taken from inside a house, of me walking rum. And it said, Does anybody know who this guy is? He's constantly walking in the area with his dog, but I know he doesn't live here because I've lived in this area for 20 years. It's hilarious how much people post on there. Yet, if you go to the neighborhood app, the next door app, neighborhood app, oops, sorry, the next door app, if you go to the next door app, you're not going to find any videos of planes, of helicopters, of military vehicles, of vans, or of police still in the area after the crowd was dispersed. That's right, nothing. It didn't happen. As soon as the crowd was dispersed, the police left. As the crowd was being dispersed, The majority of the police cars left. Nothing happened. So once I looked at all of the above and ignored the, you know, stupid TikToks and YouTubes that came out days later with now added 10-foot alien blurs and nonsense eyewitnesses that have zero proof, what I had left was a very open and shut case. It didn't happen. Not one person on that day in any of the news reports or or the news reports in general did not show any aliens, but more, you know, like that's the most important thing. There was not one news helicopter that did show an alien. Didn't happen. Not a one, but it did not show one person running from their lives from phasing aliens. Not one Facebook live video ever came out. People had their phones and not one person recorded anything as it happened. Honestly, if one 
news shot, caught police confiscating phones or detaining eyewitnesses or pushing cameramen down or anyone screaming aliens, yeah, we would have an, we'd have a cover-up of epic proportions, and I would be doing an entire, entire episode about that, more than one. But we just didn't have that. We had police overreacting on epic proportions, and sadly, not an alien invasion. And I say sadly because I would have included an alien invasion as a correct prediction for myself for 2024. So hopefully, with that, look, I get it. I really do. I don't want to trust the media. I don't want to trust Facebook. Everybody's fake news. Everybody's fake, fake, fake. I get it. But some things are real. And the realest things you can do is find out what was going on at that time live as it happens. If you don't even want to, like, you can mute the news reporter because you might think, well, they're trying to skew the story in a different way. Cool. Put it on. Put the live news feeds on. Mute the reporter on the scene and just look at what's happening in the background. What you saw was a bunch of kids laughing about the fact that they were blowing off fireworks and the police came en masse. And that's it. That's all that happened. Will this end this? No, not at all. I bet this wasn't, won't even end this for listeners of this podcast. But hopefully I got through to maybe 10% of the people here to take, your, take the time to break it down, to not listen to anybody. Don't even listen to me. But break it down like I just told you, like how I just did it just now. You can break it down and you can look for, again, I was not trying to debunk it 100%. What I was doing, I was trying to see if it happened. And as I was going through these steps to see if it happened, it all landed in the debunked category. Not one landed in the, well, it's possible, maybe, I don't know. No, all went to the debunked category. And when that happens... Sorry, it's debunked. I don't care who you are, what you do. It was debunked. But anyhow, with that out of the way, and sorry for those that were expecting, again, a full Miami incident uh, episode. It just didn't happen. It was debunked way too quickly for its own episode. So let's get on to cryptids, because that's what I really want to talk about today. I haven't done a list of uh, state cryptids in a little bit anyway. I don't know how long, maybe a few episodes. But so I figured, why not give my state, the state of California, its own cryptid list? And yeah, the easiest one for California might be the Chupacabra, but I've talked about that little goat sucker before, and frankly, it's more Puerto Rico or Mexico than the U.S. So no, the Chupacabra doesn't make the list. And there's a crap ton that did. Like who? Paris Hilton? Who... Kind of like a chupacabra or succubus seems to suck the intelligence and money out of people. No, she didn't make the list. But let's start with California's own dark watchers. This isn't a new cryptid or a new phenomenon. It goes all the way back to the 1700s when the Spanish explorers in the Santa Lucia Mountains described seeing dark watchers silently looking down on them. And I wanted to start this one because it might have been debunked. There are some very scientific possible explanations for it, but it's not 100%. So I wanted to put it on this episode as, what do you, this is the first one is a, what do you think? Once again, they're called the Dark Watchers. They described, uh, the uh, Spanish explorers described these Los Vigilantes Oscuros as being between 7 and 15 feet tall and wearing dark hats and cloaks, some holding canes or staffs. And I got to say, that's a huge height range. 
if you see somebody who's seven feet tall, you go, damn, that's, that's a tall person. But you see someone that's 15 feet tall, that'll blow your flipping mind, man. Now, the explorers try to get up the ranges to see these dark watchers up close, but they said that every time they tried to get near them, the dark watchers would run away rapidly or disappear rapidly, depending on where you get your info. All right, here's a piece from the wiki about them. The Dark Watchers are most famously given a brief mention in John Steinbeck's Flight, included in the 1938 collection of his short stories, The Long Valley. Pepe looks suspiciously back, suspiciously back every minute or so, and his eyes sought the tops of the ridges ahead. Once on a white barren spur, he saw a black figure for a moment, but he looked quickly away, for it was one of the Dark Watchers. No one knew who the Watchers were, nor where they lived, but it was better to ignore them than never to show interest in them. They did not bother one who stayed on the trail and minded his own business. Um, the watches were also referenced in a uh, by poet Robinson Jeffers in his poem, his titular poem, uh, of his 1937 collection, Such Counsels You Gave, gave to Me and Other Poems. Here's a little small piece of it because I don't want to read the whole thing. He thought it might be one of the watchers who are often seen in this length of coast range. Forms that look human to human eyes, but certainly are not human. They come from behind ridges to watch, but when he approached it to recognize the shabby clothes and pale hair, and even the averted forehead and concave line from the eye to the jaw, so that he was not surprised when the figure turned towards him in the quiet twilight showed his own face, then it melted and merged in the shadows beyond it. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, John Steinbeck's son, Thomas Steinbeck, would grow up to report having seen the Dark Watchers during his childhood and later along, along with artist Benjamin Broad, collaborated on a book entitled In Search of the Dark Watchers, which, where they go into the history of the legend and interview locals who claim to have seen them, such as famed Big Sur resident Billy Post. I don't know. I don't know who that is. I do want to get a copy of this book, though, and I'm, I'm looking for one now, uh, like a cheap one on eBay. Um... Once again, that book is called In Search of the Dark Watchers. I'd like to read it. But um, according to newspaper archives in the mid-1960s, a Monterey Peninsula local and former high school principal went on a hiking trip in the Santa, Lucia, Santa Lucia's when he suddenly spotted a dark figure standing on a rock and surveying the area. When the principal called out to the other hikers, the creature vanished. All right. It's very important to remember that when people see these, they're wearing large brimmed hats. They're wearing um, dark hats, dark cloaks, some holding canes or staffs, and are huge. They're not wearing modern day clothing. They're not, they don't look like your shadow. Like, so if you're walking and the sun is, you know, just at the right height, you look back and your shadow is like 15 feet long. And you go, wow, that's a really long shadow, but it looks exactly like me, just really stretched out. Well, that's what a lot of people think this thing, this phenomena is. In 2021, IFL Science thinks they might have debunked these dark watchers. Let me read a little bit from that. There's a simple explanation for the dark watchers of Santa Lucia, which have been seen on the mountains for centuries. The figures were famous. Oh, we already know about that. Up, up, um. Let's see. A similar figure, figure has been seen in Scotland on the peak of Ben Machdue since 1891. And uh, 
Amphir Leoth Moor, I know I butchered that, which is Scottish Gaelic for Big Gray Man, which I've talked about in a previous episode, has been uh, seen for centuries. But uh, what could it possibly be? It's uh, thought that it could be from pareidolia to hallucinations brought on by exhaustion. But the most convincing is that people are seeing Brocken specters. Brocken specters are named after the Brocken Mountains, where they were first described by German scientist Johann Silberschlag. And they're created on misty days. When the sun is low and the conditions are right, a shadow is cast by the walker onto the mist, making it appear as if a tall, shadowy figure is watching them from nearby. The water droplets that make up the mist can shift around, causing a disorienting effect, as though the shadow is moving, sometimes towards the observer, so people are literally being scared by their own shadows. They think that pretty much explains it. And then there's a video about Brock Inspectors. I'm going to watch that real quick. A Brocken Spectre, also called a Brocken Bow or a Mountain Spectre, is the magnified and apparently enormous shadow of an observer okay, cast I'm, upon clouds opposite the sun's I'm looking direction. at one while he's talking. Hold the on. figure's head is off. All right, so while he's talking, he's actually showing what a Brocken Spectre looks like. Um, it looks like a shadow in the mist against the mountain. Let me keep going because it doesn't look like a cloaked figure with a staff. Surrounded by the halo-like rings of coloured light forming a glory, which appears opposite the sun's direction when uniformly sized water droplets and clouds refract and backscatter sunlight. The phenomenon can appear in any misty mountainside or in a cloud bank, even when seen from an aeroplane, but the frequent fogs and low-altitude accessibility of the Brocken, a peak in the March Mountains in Germany, have created a low... All right, it keeps going on for another five or six seconds. So his video, it looks like him. You can see the the legs of his shadow on the actual mountain, but then the mist kind of picks up the rest of the shadow. It does not look like a 15-foot-tall person wearing a cloak with a cane to me. So does that debunk them? Again, I don't 100% think so because people noted that they have Large brimmed hats and canes. Why? Why the large brimmed hat and the canes? What part of this Brocken Spectre thing causes that? Nothing as far as science is concerned. So what else could it possibly be? Infrasound? That was another possible debunk, but that doesn't explain for the 300 years people have reported the exact same sightings. Infrasound basically is sound that we can't hear, even though we are hearing it. We're just not aware that we're hearing it. And it causes you to start a panic. It basically is like a panic attack made by sound. Really interesting. Really cool. I've been actually looking for a real or viable infrasound detector that I would like to take on paranormal investigations. Because I want to see if there are certain areas of popular paranormal supposed sites that might be explained by infrasound because there's a lot of paranormal investigations where you just have that weird feeling, that eerie feeling that somebody's watching you or all of a sudden like, I, I don't like this. I got to get out of here. That could be infrasound. So if I could find a handheld, portable, reliable, real scientific infrasound detector, I think that could debunk some paranormal um, phenomena, but it's just weird. 300 years, people have reported the exact same sightings. Again, not just like, hey, I saw someone really big on the hill. No. Like, there, there are people that had no knowledge of the Dark Watchers. 
they reported saying, you know what I saw? I saw these things that were really, really tall. They had big brim hats, canes, the staff. It's always the same, and they had no previous knowledge of Dark Watchers. So what do you think? Debunked or just damn weird? I don't know. I, that one, I want science to be able to debunk it, but I also want to see it because the videos that I found on YouTube wouldn't scare me. I'd be like, oh, wow, that's cool. My shadow's being projected on the mist over there on that hill. Not, there's somebody watching me and they're wearing a brimmed hat with a cane. All right, up next, we have vampires. And not that bunch of punk-ass vampires that are seen in Santa Carla, California with some saxophone player that has a chain around his neck and no shirt on. No. This vampire was seen in Ojai. Now, the Ojai vampire... um kind of gets mixed up with Charman and a couple other local legends, but I want to focus just on the Ojai vampire. It's the legend of a, well, hopefully you've guessed it, of a vampire that moved to Ojai. See, that's where the name came from. You guys should have pushed, pieced those two pieces together. You should have been like, let's see, he's called Ojai Vampire. I have no clue what this could possibly be about or where. Uh, this is about this vampire that moves to Ojai in 1890 from either Europe or Italy or Spain, depending where you get your Ojai vampire info. And he moves there with his guard dog. Now, he wasn't a sparkly vampire or even a sexy vampire because he was said to look like a corpse. That's right. Very corpse-like is what they say. They, so he looks like a corpse. He gets there. Soon, as after, soon after he moves into his new home in Ojai, the townsfolk are like, Hey, you see that new uh, European guy? Looks like a corpse. Yeah, that guy's kind of creepy, right? And then town folks started reporting that something was killing or draining the blood of livestock. Animals suddenly start to go missing. And some people say maybe even people go missing, some, some versions of the story. But as you know, uh, anytime I tell you a story about the 1800s, people had little to entertain themselves back then. So they just went bonkers really quickly. And this town was no exception. They had a town hall to discuss the animal attacks. Again, depending where you get your info, maybe a couple of people either died mysteriously. Kurt here. They died because it was the 1800s and people just died. Uh, but anyhow, so a town's meeting was held and it seems they immediately went, Oh, hi, has a vampire. Not, hmm, I wonder if some wolves or coyotes or bears or something had entered the area and started killing our animals. Nope, nope, must be a vampire. Let's... let's Fucking kill that vampire guy, that old corpsey looking dude. So legend says they immediately go, during the daytime obviously, to old corpsey looking European dude's house and they break into the home where they see the guard dog in front of a massive stone sarcophagus. That's right. Uh, keeping with most of the sources, um, for info where I found this, the townsfolk then spray the dog with holy water. Kurt here. Let's pause real quick. So the Christian artifacts defeating vampires, that didn't even become a thing until 1897 with a novel you might have heard about titled Dracula. Maybe that's what it's called. So unless Corpsey didn't move to Ojai until after 1897 and some townsperson had bought the book the second it came out, then told the entire town about it, I'm calling bullshit on the holy water part of this story. But let's keep going. So, the 
The good boy guard dog was sprayed with a holy water bottle like a bad dog, and they um, he runs away. So they open up the sarcophagus to see Corpsey, and yep, there he is lying in there. So they stab a stake through his heart, killing the vampire. Not done yet, though. Supposedly, they then took the body. They sealed him in a slab of cement near Camp Comfort Country, or sorry, Camp Comfort County Park. That park still exists. There is a Camp Comfort County Park in Ohio. You can go there. People have gone there quite a bit, shockingly, to try and find a cement slab that they can prove Corpsey the Vampire is in. Now, I can't find any evidence of anyone ever finding some mysterious cement slab, but hey, it could be the parking lot, people. Look down. You don't know where Corpsey is. But um, I can't find anything of people, you know, the slab with the vampire in it in or near the park. But people love to say, to this day, they see a large black dog or a mysterious green light in the area. And that is the Ojai Vampire. All right. That's a cool one. A lot of legend for me. And again, timeline doesn't really work out. I guess it kind of does. It said he moved in 1890. They could have had that wrong. It could have been 1899, two years after Dracula, and everybody's been reading Dracula, so they all know how to do holy water and the stake through the heart crap. Because hopefully, as you know, back then and prior to that, prior to Dracula, there's a whole bunch of variety of different ways to keep a vampire from coming back to life with, you know, shoving a rock in its mouth, shoving, uh, uh, putting a sickle over his neck. So if he tries to, you know, sit up, he slices his own head off, uh, cages over, over, uh, gravestones, cemeteries, crypts, whatever you want to call it. But it's just a little too on the nose, a little bit too much of a, it, to me, it sounds like somebody read Dracula back in the day and then wrote this as an article in a newspaper, even though I couldn't find that article. So let's keep going. Now, let me just tell you, I could stay in Ojai because there's a crap ton of cryptids in just Ojai. But instead, let's move to another part of California. Let's go to San Diego. San Diego, discovered by the Germans in 1904, they named it San Diego, which of course in German means a whale's vagina. Now, in San Diego, they have the Borrego Sandman. Turns out the Borrego Sandman is a desert-dwelling Bigfoot. And not just one, but supposedly a whole family of desert-dwelling Bigfoot. Now, they either could have really white fur or really sand-colored fur, like desert sand-colored fur. But they've been seen here since the first sightings in 1769 when Spanish missionaries were told by Native Americans that there were foul-smelling, hairy devils who lived in the Borrego Desert and to stay away from that area, especially a place that later became known as Dead Man's Hole in the middle of uh, in the mid-1800s. Uh, several people claimed to see strange ape men hiding in the brush during the 1800s at Dead Man's Hole. They said that uh, every time they saw these strange ape men, they were, quote, waiting to attack. And there are a ton of sightings of these things. The next sighting I could find was in 1876. That's when a prospector named Turner Helm said he encountered a sandman or sand people. Kurt here. Not many people know this, but sand people are hard to spot because they always ride single file to hide their numbers. Anyhow, 
Uh, Turner tried to communicate with one of them in multiple languages, but said no matter what language, there was no response. And so, yeah, as it got closer, uh, Turner broke the golden rule and he shot at Bigfoot. He said it did nothing, but the creature ran away. Good. Don't fucking shoot Bigfoot, Turner Helmu. What the hell? The next sighting happened in 1888 when a pair of men went looking or hunting for the Sandman because grain of salt time. Legend says, in 1888, legend said, the Sandman was reportedly tearing victims apart at the stagecoach stop like a wild animal. So they get to the area and they see it. And, yep, the a-holes start shooting and said they killed the Sandman. They said it was 400 pounds and they shipped the body by transit back to San Diego, but somehow the body was lost in transit. Of course it was. Of course it was. Um, The sightings kept going for a few more years and then nothing that I could find until 1939. That's when a shopkeeper claimed his campsite was surrounded by a large group of white-haired sandmen with glowing red eyes. He said they just stayed outside the firelight and wouldn't come close to the fire. Jumping ahead again to 1964, when Major Victor Stoyanov ran across tracks in the area that were 14 inches in length and 9 inches wide. He took plaster casts and photographs of the tracks. Kurt here, I can't find anything about these online. Like, there are, but they're obviously just, you know, photos attached to sites about this major Victor Stoyanov and nothing that shows proof that these are actually the actual ones that he took. But he said he did. In 1964, he said he took tracks. Also in 1964, a father and son reported running across one of the creatures having it, and it was heaving rocks at them. Just basically chucking rocks at these two, father and son, in 1964. They described it as a shabby ape-like beast. Then, July 1968, Harold Lancaster was prospecting east of Borrego Springs when he ran across, quote, a Sandman. He fired his 22 pistol into the air, scaring the Borrego Sandman off. Then, Frank Cox supposedly shot another freaking Sandman that was across, but he said was a cross between a man and a bear near Warner, California at Dead Man's Hole. The creature reportedly had feet that were 24 inches in length, but were on, but the only evidence that I can find that this actually happened. I was like, all right, so this guy was 1964. wasn't the 1800s, or 1968, sorry. wasn't the 1800s. This is basically modern times as far as I'm concerned for these kinds of stories. He said that he took cast of the feet. I couldn't find those. But I did find that in, um, there is a cast of a Sandman footprint that was taken by a retired police officer in 1962 that can be found at the International Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine. So there does seem to be some evidence or proof of the Sandman in San Diego. And like I said, it's it's been going on there for since 1769. And the native people, that's the most important part. If you guys listen to the show, you know that I consider that basically fact that if the natives are talking about the, the, the local people, the indigenous people are talking about Bigfoot or whatever they want to call it, hairy devils this, in this case, in the area, I consider that really good evidence that there was something in the area. 
So um, there you go. I can't find any more modern sightings of it, but people have speculated that because of all of the off-roaders and the sand railers in the area, that the area is too loud and too populated, so the sand people have moved on. Um, I don't know. I thought that was a really, really cool one. And it seems to me, if you had a lot of time and a little bit of money, or more money, you had a lot of time and a lot of money, you could kind of track where these sand people would go, where these sand men would go. Because it's only been since the late 60s. There should be an area that isn't as populated somewhere around there that would be the next logical site for, again, you know, man encroaching on nature. Where would nature go? It seems like someone should be able to do that. But anyhow, let's move on to a once-only sighting, maybe, of a creature that became known as the Riverside Bridge Monster. Kurt here, not a monster. All righty, for this one, we go back to November 8th, 1958. I keep forgetting to push that button. November 8th, 1958, when Charles Wetzel, Kurt here, damn, I love this guy's pretzels. He is the only person known or named to have spotted the Riverside Monster while driving near the Santa Ana River. Once again, November 8th, 1958. So I went down a rabbit hole here. Let's see. Wetzel's was founded by a different Wetzel in 1994. So, 1994 minus 1958 is 36 in numerology. The number 36 is often reduced to a single digit, which is number 9. Number 9 means completion and wisdom. Completion, only one sighting of the Riverside Monster. So, it's the completion of this monster story. Yep, I solved it. And see how quickly you can solve these things? Anyhow. All right, so Charles said that uh, he neared a flooded portion of the road, so he slowed down, and that's when he noticed his radio began to go all staticky. Then, out of nowhere, a strange creature with scaly skin, a protuberant mouth, and a, ref- and a pair of reflective eyes jumped out from the bush, or the brush, jumped out from the brush and onto his car, scratching at his windshield. He said he got a good close look at it, saying it had long arms and legs that protruded from its sides, a round, earless head, and a mouth that protruded grotesquely, he said. So he thinks to himself, okay, Kurt said never shoot a Bigfoot. This is clearly not a Bigfoot. So he reaches for the gun that he keeps in his glove box, and then he goes, nah. Someday a podcast host named Kurt Sandvig wouldn't want me to shoot at this thing, or as he said, in the news report or in the police report, um, he went to reach for his gun, but he was afraid that he would miss or just injure, then anger this monster. So he says, I'm not going to shoot at it. He just hits the gas. The creature falls off the hood of the car, and this guy, <laughs> Wetzel, he drives straight over it and to the nearest police station. Now, the police took his report, then went out to look at the car where they noted long scratches and an oily substance all over the hood of the car. Some people think the creature died when it was run over by a car. Yeah, probably, probably. Others say that, um, you know, that's not what happened to the creature. The reason that he was only seen once is because after he ran over the creature, Charles Wetzel Wetzel then ground up the creature and he sprinkles it on every Wetzel pretzel. And that's why they're so damn good. And that's someone who says that? Yeah, that's me. I'm the one who says that. I I did. Kurt here. 
I will say I found an article from the time and it mentions a second sighting, but it's just kind of like an afterthought kind of a thing. I'll read you the news article. It's real short. Um, let's see here. Let me zoom out a little bit. Monster or Joker? Thing faces bullet. Riverside, California, November 10th. The Riverside monster, be, be he a practical joker or the real thing, is in danger. He might be shot, Sheriff Ca- Sheriff's Captain Robert Presley said today. Presley issued the warning after receiving a second report of a weird creature frightening motorists in a brush-covered area north of here. The original description of the monster would have made, would have made makers of Hollywood horror films turn green with envy or fear. It had a round, scarecrowish head, said one of the motorists, Charlie Wetzel. The eyes were all shining like something fluorescent, and it had a protuberant mouth. It was covered with scales or leaves. And that, my friend, is all that is known about the Riverside Bridge monster. Not a monster. So with that, let's move on to the uh, last one on this list. Let's move on to Penelope. And if you're like me, you're thinking... California, Penelope, is Penelope Cruz a cryptid? And to be honest, I can't find anything online stating clearly that Penelope Cruz is not a cryptid. So maybe, but this is a, this one's about a different Penelope, I think. You know what sucks though, is that you guys are going to try and connect this cryptid to Penelope Cruz the entire time I read this story to you now. So for that, I'm sorry. Um, Just try, try to separate them. Penelope, also known as the Monster of the Sierra Nevada, is described as over seven feet tall and looking skeletal in frame and color. See? That could be Penelope Cruz. Uh, She's also reportedly has long limbs, a distorted face, and long, dirty hair. No clothes, and is often described as a bestial witch with alarming speed and razor-sharp claws who relieves her victims of their heads or their bowels. Alrighty, so here comes the legend part of it. It's all legend part of it, but here it comes. Penelope and her husband one winter while driving through the Sierras were hit by a brutal snowstorm, which caused their car to get swept off from the road, crash, and go down a cliffside. So Penelope awakens to see her decapitated husband's her decapitated husband's head laying in her lap, so she flees from the car into the woods, but becomes lost in the wilderness. So she's out there wandering the woods, eating berries and bugs. Then as time goes on, she also starts to eat small animals and then birds. Then another brutal storm hits the area. Poor Penelope. So she finds shelter in a ravine that has all these large metal drums in it. You know the kind. Well, it turns out these large metal drums are actually filled with toxic waste, which is, of course, seeping out. And I'm just going to add it's glowing green because why the fuck not? Uh, So she climbs into an empty barrel and survives the storm. But the toxic waste, oh, it it changes her. It changes her. She is now mutated in to Penelope, which Kurt here, she always was. She was always Penelope. Also, um, there is no one who has ever talked to Penelope, ever. If she sees you, she decapitates you or disembowels you. So how do they know any of this story? How do they know that she woke up in a crashed car looking down to see her decapitated husband's head laying in her lap so she flees from the car to eat small bugs and then small animals and then birds and then obviously has to get into a 
you know, if you're ever stuck in a snowstorm and you go, well, let's see, my two options are to walk in a snowstorm or to climb into a barrel of toxic waste. Don't, don't climb into the barrel of toxic waste. It's not going to make anything better for you ever. Anyhow, Penelope is responsible for derailing a train and eating its passengers, killing unsuspected hikers, attacking campers, murdering park rangers, and even attacking a mobile home park where she turned over several of the structures and made off with some of the people who lived there. But wait, there's more. The FBI was brought in to handle the disappearances and the deaths. They hired a posse of bounty hunters, because, you know, that's what the FBI does. Anytime the FBI isn't, you know, like, hey, you got to check out these murders. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hire a, a posse of bounty hunters. But anyhow, the FBI hires a posse of bounty hunters to chase after Penelope, eventually cornering her in a canyon. Penelope was shot several times, but managed to kill several of her pursuers before finally climbing over a cliff and disappearing over top. Wow. That story has everything. Someone needs to make that story into a movie. And when they do, they need to hire, well, you know, Penelope Cruz, of course. Um, yeah, okay, this one, it's all legend and nonsense on live, online. I can't find one named person who has seen Penelope, probably because she disembowels or beheads every person that sees her. How do they get the description of her? How do they get that backstory of her? I can't find any stories about a train that was being de that was derailed in the area and then everyone was eaten. You think that'd be a big story. You think there'd be at least one article online about that, but nothing. Um, I can't find anything about uh, unsuspecting hikers being disemboweled or beheaded or campers or park rangers or a mobile home park where everything was turned over and some people were taken away. What, what, why were they taken away? What's she doing with those people? I thought she just disemboweled and beheaded everybody. And also, why is she beheading somebody? You think that she would remember the shock and horror that she felt when she looked down and saw her beheaded husband that she wouldn't go, well, now I'm going to behead everybody that I see. Come on, people. I, I don't know. Um, all righty. You know what? That, let's, let's, uh, let's call it there because this, this episode has been a lot fairly long episode actually um there is a ton there are a ton more of uh cryptids from california and i gotta tell you like don't be surprised if this next one is either going to be a sequel to this episode or more likely a patron only sequel to this episode that's probably what it's going to be um but anyhow um once again i'm your host kurt samick what did you guys think of before i get to that what do you guys think of these any of these cryptids you had heard of before? Because that's why I like this list. It wasn't a chupacabra. Of course you've heard of the chupacabra. I want to tell you about stuff that you haven't heard of. Like the Sandman or or Penelope or the Ojai Vampire. Were, were any of these guys new to you? If so, let me know. Make sure you put it down in the comments below or just message me because I always like to hear about it. And if you live in California or if you know of any California cryptids, please let me know. ParanormalAlmanac at gmail.com. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. The...